Good morning. How are y'all? Are y'all enjoying the, the cool weather? Well, I am too. It's really nice. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, of you from time to time can struggle with forgiving others? Raise your hand. Uh, that's good. Listen, we, we all know the difficulty that can happen with that. And so for the past several weeks, we've been on this message series called The Journey of Truth. And so we're going to talk about the truth about forgiveness and how that affects our daily lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I think for most people, we don't even like to admit to ourselves that we need and probably do need to forgive people from time to time. Everything in our sin sick souls hates this idea of forgiving each other. And we can recognize that thing inside of us. It's that real uncomfortable feeling, the grinding in our gut when we hear someone mention that person's name or they say something nice about the person that hurts you. But do you realize that our entire Christian faith hinges on this key concept of forgiveness. And so if we miss that, we've missed it altogether. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the importance of the truth of forgiving other people. Why it's hard to forgive those people who've hurt us and what happens when we don't forgive others. And why it's important to still move towards forgiveness even when it still hurts. So if you will, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. This is a very familiar verse. Jesus is teaching on principles of kingdom living. It's the story of the unmerciful servant. And this particular parable is relational as well as being reciprocal, meaning that it's normally between two people of course, but also that you can't have one without the other. Now, there are many promises in the Bible. Some of them actually have conditions, and when we don't do it the right way, there's also consequences. So I want you to listen as Jesus begins to teach on forgiving others. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he wasn't able to pay, the, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and, and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Just as I had him in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father would treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, TV, movies, and things that we watch on television, it's all about revenge. It's it's all about payback. It's, It's the thing that says, don't get mad, get even. But listen to what Jesus says about the necessity of forgiving others. And we begin to look at these scriptures. It says right here, Peter asked this question. He said, Lord, how many times should I forgive the person who sinned against me? Up to seven times. Now, I don't know if Peter had something or someone who hurt him. Maybe it was his brother, Andrew, or maybe it was one of the other disciples. But nonetheless, he must have known the personal pain of being hurt by someone. And so Jesus begins to say in the very next verse, he says how many times? Not just seven, but 77 times. He's saying, listen, I'm here. I'm telling you now that there is a zero tolerance policy on forgiveness. There's no circumstance anymore that we are allowed not to forgive. The spirit of forgiveness has no boundaries and it has no limits. Now, Jesus often in parables will use those as a comparative statement, meaning that he'll compare this to this to show us just how outlandish some of our thinking is. And so he goes on to do this when he talks about the debt that that one owed compared to the other. It says here, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to, to repay the debt. Now, in this particular portion of Scripture, this one debtor owed 10,000 bags of gold. That's 150,000 years worth of income. And so this servant, he realizes he has no assets. He realizes that he's bankrupt. So he begs for patience. You know, for us, he knows that he and his family both can be uh, sold into servitude until the debt is paid in full. Do you realize that had Jesus not came and paid our debt, every one of us could have ended up on Satan's auction block. Every one of us could have done that. It goes on and it says here that, that the servant went out. And he found someone who owed him some money. But it was a hundred silver coins. But this gracious king released him and, and let him go. And so this guy, he goes out and he runs into someone who owes him a hundred measly silver coins. And he begins to choke him. Do you realize that when you and I refuse to forgive someone, we actually become the devil's debt collector? That's what happens when we choose not to forgive. Jesus goes on and he begins to tell that type of person, listen, when you don't forgive someone, that it's wicked. That's what it is. 
How many people do we know who were eager to accept God's forgiveness and God's acceptance, but have not and will not forgive other people in their life? See, Jesus says, listen, this is just not unfortunate. He says, when you don't forgive someone after you have already been forgiven yourself, it's a big deal. It's wickedness. Now, we don't use that word a whole lot today. But that word really means devilish. So when we don't forgive, we're acting like the devil. It goes on, it says that the master, because he was angry, handed this man over to the jailers until he paid it all back. And God will turn us over to the jailers too. And he's talking about the, the tormentors. When you think about the price that Jesus paid to set us free... We should do everything in our power to remain free and grow in the freedom that Jesus secured for us, shouldn't we? We should be eager to forgive other people because if we don't, this scripture here tells us that we can easily, easily be enslaved again when we know that we should forgive and we do not Here's what happens. You move from being a victim of that hurt to a volunteer. Meaning that, listen, you signed up for the torture. From a victim to a volunteer. Goes on. Jesus says that, listen, you need to forgive from your heart. You know, unless you and I are willing to look inside ourselves and see our own faults and our own flaws. We'll never deal fairly. We'll never deal biblically with the faults and the flaws of other people. Jesus is saying, listen, this kingdom of God that's being ushered in should be and consist of those who have been forgiven and those who are forgiving others. Those who have received mercy and those who grant mercy. You say, well, Bill... How do I know if I have unforgiveness in my heart towards someone? Well, you avoid that person. You see that person in Walmart and you go down the other aisle. Or you know they're going to attend a certain event and so you ditch that event. You come easily into agreement about evil thoughts about that person. It's not hard for you to think bad about that person. You complain to others about them. See, you're hoping that if you complain about other people to them, your offender, that, that they'll be your pal. And there'll be two of you who could gang up on that person. You find it easy to not care what happens to that person. You just simply don't care. You have no peace. For a Christian, if we have unforgiveness in our heart, we shouldn't have no peace. There should be turmoil in the temple. Each of us that knows the name of Christ and we've been saved, the Spirit of God lives in us. It's a spirit of forgiveness. And God wants us to forgive other people. And I know some of you, you may be thinking already, God, if I forgive that person... They're going to get off the hook and they're going to get away scot-free. We, that's wrong thinking. Listen, when we choose not to forgive someone, it doesn't grant us any power 
over that person. Actually, what it does, it enslaves us to sin. And we shouldn't do that. And I'll tell you that forgiveness is not reconciliation. It takes one person to forgive, two to reconcile. It takes two to reconcile. I know many people who are still waiting this day after years and years and years for this I'm sorry to come. Forgiving from the heart really does allow us to keep betrayers at a distance. Forgiveness does not allow unrepentant abusers back into our life. But what it does when we forgive someone, it it allows the peace of God to come back into our life. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. There's a story uh, about this man called David, y'all have heard of him, and this obscure character in the Bible by the name of Mephibosheth, and it's going to be in Second Samuel 9, 1 through 13. Now, buried within this Old Testament story, it's a beautiful uh, picture of love and forgiveness of a, of a man who would become king, and he wanted to do the right thing. But it's a beautiful picture of relational forgiveness. But I think it's an even clearer picture of how God has forgiven each of us. So there's a, a pretext to a background I want to read to you. It's a little small portion. It's in 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. You don't have to turn. I'm going to read it for you. It says, Jonathan the Saul, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haze, they fell and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, I don't know how much of the story that you know about uh, Saul and Jonathan. Um, Saul was a, a great king. He didn't always do things right. But on this particular day that both Saul and his son Jonathan fell on the battlefield in the, in the same day. And so his reign came to an end that very day, that very moment. And so now what was getting ready to happen, that a new king was going to be installed, and that would be David. Now, it was customary in that culture during that day when uh, a new king came into power. The new king would, would kill all the living descendants of the old king. And the reason that they did that, so there, there wouldn't be an uprising. There would never be a threat to the throne. Now, the family members and the servants who lived at that time of Saul, they knew immediately when the news came from the battlefield and it came back to them, things were going to be different. They began to to be afraid. And and so the nurse and the, the servants, and they all began to run. This little boy, Mephibosheth, John's son, Jonathan's son, was only five years old, as it said. And so as they began to run out of fear, she tripped and she fell. And the Bible just simply said that he became crippled in his feet. So now David is now king of Israel. And we don't hear anything about Mephibosheth from chapter 2 to chapter 9. We don't hear anything else about him. And you'll see why in just a minute. So now it's 15 years later. This story picks up in chapter 9. It said, and David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. And the king said, is there not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. And he fell on his face and he, he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land your father Saul had. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and says, What is it that your servant, servant, that you should show regard for such a dead dog as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belongs to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and all your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that the Lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. And so Mephibosheth ate at the Lord's table. Like one of the king's sons, and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. And so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And now he was lame in both feet. Now listen, David had every right to kill all of Saul's family, to kill all of his Extended family, his servants, everyone. But notice, David didn't follow the culture. He didn't follow the tradition. David decided concerning this that he was going to follow God. I go back and I look and it says, And David said, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? I want you to notice that, that David took this initiative to show mercy to his enemies. He, did, he didn't have to do that. He went to look for the rest of Saul's family. In the same way, see, Jesus took the first step in to look for you and me, didn't he? He took the first step that he, he sent Jesus to find us and look for us and, and to show us mercy. He goes on and we see here that David, he extends this special kindness to Mephibosheth. But it says here that that he did it for Jonathan's sake. You see, when Jesus forgives us, when God forgives us, God does it for Jesus' sake. We don't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And so what we should do when we uh, someone hurts us, we should show them grace. Even though they didn't ask for it, even though they didn't deserve us, deserve grace, we should give it to them as well. I like this part in here where Ziba begins to tell David about Mephibosheth. He said, yeah, he's got a son. 
He's got this problem, though, that he's, he's crippled in his feet. I don't know if, if, if Ziba was actually embarrassed or he may be afraid for himself. But it's almost like he's saying to David, mm, King David, you probably don't want this guy. Mm, he's probably a mess. He's just he's all broken up. And besides, he really doesn't have anything to offer you. And he's really not going to look good because he's crippled laying there in your court. How many times when we see someone like Mephibosheth, who is defined by his condition, he's defined by his deformities. How many of us have been defined by what we have done when it comes to to hurting people? Many of us have done that thinking that, that, listen, this thing that I've done to someone, it's not worthy of forgiveness. It's not worthy of being Accepted. But I love David's response. He simply, he doesn't even acknowledge what Ziba had said. He looks right past all that and he simply says, go get him. I love David's heart about that. He doesn't ask, hmm, tell me how, how damaged is he? How, how much of a cripple is he? No, he just simply says, Go get him. You see, God knows our circumstances. And God knows the deformities that you and I have, the things that that we've done. And even though we have nothing to offer God, he chooses to forgive us as well. Even in our brokenness, he chooses to forgive us. Now, he goes on to say that David sent for Mephibosheth. He said, I want you to go find him. And he's in this place called Lodabar. And it's this less desolate place. It means a, a place of no pasture, a barren wasteland. Think of it as a biblical ghetto. And so here is Mephibosheth. He's lying low in Lodabar. He's not looking to be found. He's not wanting to be found. But in the same way that David sent Zeba. To go look for Mephibosheth so he could forgive him and bless him. God does the same thing for us. That God went looking for you and me. Even though that we weren't looking to be found. You see, God's grace for you found you even when you weren't looking for it. And I think God expects us to follow suit. All of us have been in terrible places in our life, haven't we? Many of us have lived in our own Lodabar. And God still came for us because he loved us and he wanted to forgive us. It says here that King David. And so Mephibosheth comes and he throws himself at his feet, begins to to pay homage. Can you imagine the fear that Mephibosheth had? He had no idea what King David was going to do. Was King David going to kill him? Was King David going to put him in prison for the rest of his life? See, just like me and you, we had no idea what God thought about us before we came to him. We didn't know the love. We didn't know the forgiveness that's in the daddy's heart for us. It says then that he he called for Ziba. And he tells him this. David does. He says, all 
that belonged to Saul in his house. I have given to your master's grandson. So what David does, he restores all the land that the previous king Saul had to Mephibosheth. He didn't have to do that. David didn't have to do that. In the same way, see, God didn't, didn't just simply forgive us and just leave it there. God's heart was to bless you and I. And I want you to think about all the blessings that God gives you and me. Not just forgiveness. He gives us what? Eternal life. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And he gives us the church. See, forgiveness is, is just never enough. But one of the cool things I see in this story It said, but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. And so what David does, he gives Mephibosheth the same rights and the same privileges as his own son. And what he basically does, he adopts Mephibosheth. And he gives Mephibosheth this special place at the king's table. You see, in the same way, God adopted us, didn't he? He adopted us through, through, brings us into his family. And so God adopts us and he brings us to that that place at his table that we didn't deserve, that we didn't earn. But he still did that for you and me. But I'll be honest, or could we be honest? Maybe that's a, a better question. Do you realize that we're all Mephibosheths? Every one of us. All of us have been crippled by our sin. We've been lame weak. We've all ran from God, hid from God. We never dreamed in a million years that God would forgive us. We never thought that that God would bless us. We never believed that he would welcome us at his table, but that's what he did. That's what he did. You say, well, Bill, what motivated David to forgive and bless in this story? See, I believe that David, if you read the the Bible, God forgave him of many things. Because he was a rascal. He was a scoundrel. He He didn't always get it right. And because David had experienced God's forgiveness and he experienced God's blessing, that's the thing that's got to motivate us too. And so if you're here this morning, that has to be the thing. And I believe in the Bible where it says that David was a man after God's own heart. I believe the reason that is because David had a willingness to forgive people who hurt him. And I believe that when we forgive people that hurt us, it demonstrates that God, not our offender, is what matters most to us. That God, not our offender, is what matters the most to us. Now, in Luke 6, 27, 28, you don't have to turn there. Here's what it says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Do you realize that if we do good to those that hurt us, that hate us, we bless those who curse us. We pray for those who mistreat us that very few people will ever know that we've been mistreated, we've been neglected, 
and we've been hurt by someone. You know, when I see people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and, and they refuse to forgive, I have to question, do they really, really, really know the forgiveness of God themselves? And why is it that every time when it comes to forgiveness, that our heart is always centered on the person who hurt us instead of Jesus who forgave us? Why is that? So this morning, I want to ask you, is it enough for God to know that you've been wounded? Is it enough for Jesus to come and touch that place where you've been terribly wounded by something or Someone did or something they they failed to do. Instead of your offender coming and saying, I'm sorry. And is it enough to know that God knows that he matters more to you than anything else? And so this morning, if there's someone that you've toted around in your heart and in your head, the devil's going to allow that person to live rent-free in your thoughts tormenting you until you do if you're born again that will happen but you can choose to forgive someone from your heart but what that means is that you say listen i have to see myself that listen i can be an offender i have and i will hurt people in the future that's what it means to to forgive someone from your heart instead of dragging that person into court and saying hey look what he did it's, Lord, look what we did. Not that person sinned against me. Lord, we've sinned against you. Because whether we realize it or not, all of our stuff, all sin is against who? It's against God. Right? And God has this desire to, to heal you and, and set you free. And so my prayer for you this morning is that if there is that someone, let him go. You'll be the beneficiary of it. You'll get the peace of God back in your life. And I would hope for all of us that when God thought of you and God thought of me, that he would think, man, my daughter, she's after my own heart. My son, they're after my own heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of forgiveness. Thank you, God, that it sets us free. Lord, it restores us. Uh, to that right relationship with you. God, help us to, to keep a short list of those wrongs against us. God, help us to forgive quickly, Lord, because you forgave us. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit that motivates us to, to forgive others, Lord, even when it still hurts in Jesus' name. Amen.